Good morning. So this morning, I am going to talk about marriage. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. That's, that movie's getting old. Do people know what that's from, though, at least? Hopefully, yeah. I have been married for 27 years. Yeah, cheer for her, not for me. I've been married a while, and if you've been married a while, when you go to a wedding and you're at the wedding and you see the newlyweds and they're looking at each other and they're dressed good and all the, everything's perfect and they begin to say their vows, you look over at your wife and you think, and you, you laugh a little bit. You're like, they have no idea what's coming next. They got no idea. They got no idea. This, because that's a wedding. A wedding is different than a marriage. Amen. That, that's a, a marriage begins when you go to the airport the next day to go on your honeymoon and your wife says to you, I think I forgot my passport. Congratulations, now you're married. Like you got stuff to deal with together and you got to figure it out, right? That's what marriage looks like. Um, you, when you get married, it's funny because some of the things that you do right away in your marriage like matter. And I don't think people explain this well enough. The first day that you're married, you make some critical decisions, on the first day that you're married, when you settle in to bed that night for the first time, you are choosing your side of the bed for life. Am I right? For the rest of your life, that's your side of the bed. It doesn't matter. And when you're choosing that first night, I think it's all just very casual. I don't know which side you are. You got to take into account certain things like bathroom proximity. Which side of the bed do you want to be on for the bathroom? And probably the most important one is television viewing angle. So if you, if you are in your side of the bed, like I chose poorly on this. For the last 27 years, whenever I watch TV, I only see half the screen because I see my wife's big toe in the middle of the screen over there. Like whenever you see the five-day forecast, all I get is Wednesday and beyond. That's all I can see, you know? But we, we choose these things and we don't realize how important they are, right? Um, the other thing that is, that is super important is, is the size of the bed. How many people know this? When you're first married, right, we started with a queen, but then we graduated to a king. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? You ever see young couples? They're like, oh, but we're so in love. We're in a double bed. There's nothing double about a double bed. Do you know that? There's nothing double about a double bed. You're, but we cuddle all night long. And you're, when you get married and you've been married a little while, you want real estate. You know what I'm talking about? You want acreage. I want, I need a barrier in between us. I need some space, woman. That's the way it works. When you have a king-size bed, you're a king. Do you know that? In a king-size bed, you have your side of the bed. It's your own empire. It's your own domain. You can make laws, decrees, anything. I don't know what happens on your side of the bed. This is my side. All I know is it smells like moisturizer over there. I don't know what's going on. But that's what you do. You, you end up making those things. Um, and, and you get that in a smaller bed, you sort of get credit for cuddling, even if you didn't mean to. Do you know what I'm talking about? One little roll and you're like, they're like, oh, that's so sweet. You're cuddling. When you have a king size bed, cuddling is an effort. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you just want a good night kiss, you got to roll over several times. You know what I mean? And then you're back. That's how it works. I am going to talk about marriage today. So if you've got your Bibles, open up. We are in 1 Peter chapter 3. We are starting in verse 1. If you've got notes, stick with me. It says this. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Any, anybody nervous for me yet? Anybody at all? Just any? 
I, Glenn, it, it, Glenn's on his way back from Tanzania. If you're watching this online, Glenn, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, Glenn's nervous for me. I can tell you that right now. For some of you women, when you read a phrase like that in Scripture, I get it. You tense up. Your muscles tense up. It's a real, it's a physical reaction. Some of you are probably thinking, where are the exits and how do I get out of here right now, right? And by the way, in case you are wondering, there are three exits available, left, right, and then if things get really dicey during the sermon, I'm hitting that back curtain through the hallway, through the chapel. My car is actually idling out there if I need to go. So I'm going to preach this as faithfully as I can. But what I want you to notice as we jump into this passage is this the most important phrase in the passage. The most important phrase in this passage, to frame it up, is this. It says, in the same way. I want you to circle that, underline it, highlight it. In the same way. In the same way. In the same way as what? what? What are we talking about here, Steve? Well, before we get into wives and husbands or anything along those lines, I want us to remember where we came from as we've been preaching through 1 Peter. Last week, we were talking about 1 Peter is this letter that is written to a bunch of believers who are living in exile. They're living in a foreign land as, as foreigners, and they are trying to live out this mission God has given them in a foreign land. And I told you last week, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is this, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, be careful to what? Live properly among your who? Your unbelieving neighbors. And, and then it says in the same way. How do we live property, properly in these environments? How do we live properly amongst our unbelieving neighbors? And how do we live on mission? Last week I told you that the sermon title was Living on Mission Through Submission and Suffering. Really, today's message is living on mission through submission and suffering, part two. But that's a lame title, so here's what I'm going to call it. It's living on mission in your own home. How do you live on mission in your own home? Um, Because it's so important that we see this. Here's the thing. Submission is not a women's issue. Submission is an everyone issue. It's an issue for everyone. We don't naturally fall into it. And we saw this last week. I'm going to give you some of the examples of in the same way. Last week, it says, in the same way, we are to submit to the governing authorities. Last week, I talked about this. Submit to the governing authorities. Not everyone loved that. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14 says, for the Lord's sake, submit to who? All human authority. Whether who? Who? The king as heads of state or who else? The officials he has appointed, right? Followers of Jesus are supposed to be the best citizens we can be. Even if we disagree with the current administration. Even if we don't like their policies. Even we we are to submit to those governing authorities. Now get this, when Peter is writing this, the governing authority is Nero. Nero is the guy who lit up Christians on fire in his courtyard just to watch them burn. That's the governing authority he's talking about. And Peter's telling him we need to submit to the governing authority. What else? In the same way. In the same way, submit to your masters. We saw this last week. Submit to your masters. 1 Peter 2, 18 says, You who are what? Slaves must submit to your masters with what? All respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are what? Kind and reasonable, but even if they are 
cruel. I want you to imagine reading this passage if you're an actual slave. I mean, imagine reading this letter from Peter and you're going, oh, come on, man. Are you kidding me? You have any idea what my life is like? You have any idea what that must have felt like as a slave? And in another translation, it uses the term servant or bond servant as another one. And it just refers to all people who are, servants or bond servants were just a hair above slaves. They were kind of a peasant class that worked and they just made barely enough to, to keep working, if that makes sense. They could barely survive. And some of those masters were kind. And some of them were cruel. That's what it was like. And we see this most clearly in the workplaces, what I talked about last week. Some of the bosses that we work for are good bosses and we want to work for them forever. But some of them are cruel. And what what we're told in this letter is stay on mission even if you're working in a place like that. Even if you're a slave or a servant in a place like that, we submit to our masters. Another, in the same way, we saw another illustration of this, is submit the way Jesus did. Submit the way Jesus did. In 1 Peter 2, 21, it says, For God called you to do good, even if it means what? Suffering. Just as who? Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must what? The most powerful illustration Peter can come up with is why we would submit, why we would suffer in those situations, is Jesus himself. Peter uh, refers us back to Isaiah 53, and we see where Jesus submitted to and suffered um, for us, including death on a cross. That's what Jesus did. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus said, not my will be done, but your will be done. He submitted to the Father. He said, this is not, not really what I want, God, but I'll submit to you. And when he got, a little bit later on, they came to arrest him and to take him away. If you remember, there's these Roman guards and they come to take him. And basically, he stops his disciples and says, oh, you think these guys have authority? If I wanted to right now, I could call down a legion of a thousand angels. They could take this entire army out right now. But he submitted to this Roman government that was eventually going to kill him. And we see that he submitted to the Roman authorities. He submitted to God's plan. And he did all of that because he was on a mission for us. He was on that mission for us to die for you and I and to rise from the dead for you and I that he might take care of eternity for you and I. So that brings me back to the passage that we're in today. In the same way, in the same way, in the same way. And we're gonna see in the same way wives submit to your unbelieving husbands. Wives, submit to your unbelieving husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Let's jump into it. It says, in the same way, there it is, circle, highlight, underline, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your what? Your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be what? One over. By observing your what? Pure and reverent lives. Now, here's the first thing you need to know. Context matters. You need to know the context of this being written in. Context always matters when we're reading the scriptures. This passage is written specifically to spouses who have an unbelieving spouse. This is how you live if you become a Christian and your husband is not. 
okay? How do you live if your husband ain't having any part of it? If you're like, I'm going to church, are you ready? And he's like, whatever, babe, the basketball tournament is on, okay? That, that's who we're talking about here, women who uh, are married to an unbelieving spouse. Now, in Roman civilization, in Roman civilization, the code of the land said that the Roman head of household had complete authority over his household till he was dead. So if you are a man and you are the head of your household, you have complete authority over that household until you are dead. In fact, many Romans could, there are instances of this where Romans would put their own adult children to death if they were to dishonor or disrespect him. That's, what, that's the culture they lived in. In fact, when children were born, when children were first born, it was the man's decision whether or not they would keep or get rid of the child. So they would uh, have a child, and if there was any defect in the child whatsoever, a, a Roman man might say, I don't want him. Or, or, and they did this a lot with girls. They did this a lot with girls. I, I don't want a girl. What I want is a son, I want, and whatever. And they would literally get rid, of, they would get rid of the kids. They would literally take these children out, and they would leave them out in the wilderness, like to die of exposure or to die by uh, ant, wild animals. That's the culture we're talking about here, okay? In fact, there are some Christian scholars, there's a bunch of them that believe part of the reason Christianity even took off the way it did in the first century is because as these Romans would do this, the Christians would say, we'll take her, we'll raise her, we're not going to let you do that. And so they would take in these girls and they would raise them. And, and I'm no sociologist, but after about 20 years or so, there's a whole bunch of Christian families with a lot of fine-looking Christian girls and a bunch of Roman boys are like, where are the girls? Where are the girls? And they ended up marrying some of these Christian girls who then basically are in this exact situation, a, a believing wife with an unbelieving Roman husband. And we see that, okay? Now, uh, ladies, by the way, if you're single, this is not licensed to go out and go after those unbelieving men. You, this is not missionary dating. It's not flirt and convert, okay? That isn't how we do this, all right? This is somebody who's already in this situation. For these Roman men, domestic abuse was viewed not only as acceptable, but it was viewed as the way that you would train your wife or shape your wife. You would beat your wife the way you would beat your children in order to get them to do what you wanted them to do. I want to make sure we understand the context of this, the cultural context, okay? Because women were on the social scale, they were not quite slaves, they were above slaves, but they certainly weren't men, they weren't fully human, okay? And we need to understand that. So if you as a woman said yes to Jesus... And you said, I'm all in on this Jesus thing. You were probably in for some real trouble if you were married to a Roman man. Okay? And Peter is saying, if you're in that situation, in the same way as those other examples, accept his authority. Get this, it's the same exact mission as live properly amongst your unbelieving neighbors. Live properly amongst your unbelieving husband. Who is your closest unbelieving neighbor? It's the guy who sleeps next to you at night. That's him. The guy who can't seem to get his socks in the hamper, no matter what happens. The guy that no matter what can't remember, the lid goes down on the toilet, down on the toilet. That's your unbelieving husband that you are trying to reach. Now, Ladies, I want to make sure this is such a tough topic, but I want you to remember that this is not some powerless position you hold. 
Submission is a choice. Submission is a choice. Submission is not forced obedience. It is a voluntary choice. You choose to submit to someone else. What is the best way to reach your unbelieving husband? Do you think it's nagging him? No, 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 it's not. Men have this natural response to nagging. You nag and I throw up the wall even harder. I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me about it, whatever else it is. But if you begin to live a life of submission, you begin to live a life where you are, uh, here's, if you want to reach your unbelieving husband, this is what you do. Shock him. Shock him. Shock him by living a life of respect to him. Live with grace. Be quick to offer forgiveness. Love him in such a way that your husband has no other option than to say, what is going on? God is obviously at work in you. If you want to win them over, you've got to live life on mission in your own home. One of the great illustrations of this is a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And Lee uh, was an award-winning investigative reporter at the Chicago Tribune. And then the unthinkable happened to him. His wife became a Christian. And he noticed some nice changes in her at first, and, and he was happy about that, but, but he wasn't convinced, and he really had a hard time with this Jesus thing and this Christian thing. So he decided he was going to put his investigative talent as an investigative re- reporter to the test to basically disprove this religion or this cult that she had been caught up in. And he ends up believing in Christ. And writing this book. But the reason he even started the investigation was because he noticed how his wife was living. How she was changing right in front of him in his own home. Now if you're watching this online, I'm sorry, I apologize. I don't have the streaming rights for this. I wish you were here, but I want to show you a quick clip from a movie that was put out a few years ago. When you became a Christian, I freaked out. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was scared. Um... And I felt like that I needed to uh, to save you, and so I decided to set out to prove this was all a big con. And so that's what I've been doing all this time. I just had to prove this whole thing wrong, but I couldn't. The evidence for your faith. more overwhelming than I could have ever imagined. But it wasn't just the evidence, okay? It was you. You never stopped loving me. You never gave up on me. And I think because of that, God didn't either. I don't think God gave up on you either, but what, what are you saying? Uh, I can't even fathom what I'm going to say this out loud. I believe. I do. Pretty cool. He saw Christ. 
He did the investigation. He, he did the historical and the, all of that to figure it out. But he saw Christ right in front of his own eyes in his wife's life. He could try and deny the truths or, or of this religion or this cult, but he couldn't deny the change in her and the way she was living. So when we live this life on mission in our home, we see that submission is beautiful. I know some of you are thinking, I can't write that down. Submission is the S word. I don't want to say that, you know, submission. Submission is beautiful. Listen to what it says here. In 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6, it says, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that, what? Comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves, what? Beautiful. They put their trust in God, and there it says it again, accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear or what your husbands might do. Now some of you ladies, I know as you walked in here today, maybe you heard this passage and you thought, oh man, I just got my hair did. Now he's talking about hairstyles and what I'm wearing, and I look good today, right? Uh, I I wanna, that's not exactly what I'm talking about here. I I am a uh, man who lives in a home with three daughters and a wife and one bathroom. Does anybody understand my pain at all, at all? I have one bathroom, three daughters, one wife, four women, one guy, and a bathroom. I came home last night from a walk out in the neighborhood. When I got home, the door to the bathroom was locked. One of my daughters was in the bathtub, and I had to get in the car and drive to the grocery store to go to the bathroom. That's my world, people. My three daughters each have a cart. It was a genius move by my wife. They have a cart that they roll into a corner and then they roll out when they want to use it. It has three tiers. It's about yay big like that. It has all kinds of stuff up and down on that cart. It is unbelievable to me. It has all kinds of lotions and potions and bottles of goo. There's incredible stuff on that cart. Each daughter in these carts, has. Uh, they have all kinds of stuff. They have makeup. They have skin care. They have fragrance. They have vitamins. They have hair products. They have mechanical devices. They have electric devices. They have all kinds of little things that they use on there, right? They have wraps and peels and scrubs and rubs. I don't, they've got all kinds of stuff in these carts, right? Do you know what I use at my house, in my bathroom? I use exactly four things. I use a hairbrush, a toothbrush, a bar of ivory soap, and Old Spice deodorant. You're welcome for me using the Old Spice. People appreciate that, honestly. I don't even, uh, my shampoo I steal from one of those carts, so don't tell them or anything like that. I probably use really good shampoo because I steal it from them. Uh, Here's the point. Some of these people have turned this passage into meaning, yeah, women, you're not allowed to wear makeup or, or no nice clothes or God forbid, don't braid your hair. Do not get those highlights or lowlights, girl. That's not what I'm talking about here. That's not, the point of that is that none of that, no matter how much time, effort, and energy you put into that, will ever win your unbelieving husband to Christ. It's never going to win him over. What will win him over is the beauty of your character. 
the beauty of your character, the beauty of your spirit, when you have kindness and gentleness oozing out of you, the beauty of, of a peace that dwells deep within you, that will win him over. Biblical submission is beautiful. It is. Now, this doesn't mean, women, that you need to be seen and not heard like children. I know some people read that quiet and, and, and uh, they read that passage out of there and I, I don't need or want a completely quiet woman. I don't know, has anybody met my wife at all? My wife is beautifully feisty. I love every part of her, and I wouldn't want it any other way. I want a woman who has an opinion, right? Uh, I want her to speak into my life. I want her to point me to Jesus and point out my flaws. Do it gently, babe, but point them out, okay? Um, I, I, that's what I want. I, I want it to be done with gentleness and kindness, to love and support me when I am down because you people don't see me when I'm at my lowest, but she does. And when I see those characteristics in her spirit, that's what draws me to God. The passage reaffirms in the middle of this, this idea that I will submit to your authority as a, as a wife. I will do it voluntarily. And the idea baked in this passage is this. It says, I'll let you lead and I'll trust God. Even if you're my unbelieving husband, I'll let you lead and I'll trust God. Even if you're not submitting to God yet, I am. Even if I'm not sure about all your decisions, you know what I am sure? I am sure about God's love and I am sure about God's provision and I am sure about God's faithfulness. Even if you are not the husband I dreamed of when I was a little girl, I will be the wife that God has called me to be. And get this, if you live that way, he will notice. I promise he will notice. Listen to what it says in the Bible about a wife like that. Proverbs 31 says this. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than what? Rubies. Proverbs 18.22 says the man who finds a wife finds a what? Treasure. And he receives what? Favor from the Lord. That kind of wife who lives with that kind of inner beauty is the wife that has the best chance to win her unbelieving husband to the Lord. Okay, ladies, are we good so far? We okay? We're going to be all right? Yeah? Okay. Men, you're up. It's time to take it to you a little bit. You ready? Boys, you got this? Okay, let's talk about it. Here we go. Uh, husbands. It says, in the same way, husbands, love and honor your unbelieving wives. Love and honor your unbelieving wives. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, in the same way, husbands must what? Give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with what? understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your what? Your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be what? Hindered. Again, the context for this is huge. 
Christian men that find themselves married in an unbelieving home. You're a Christian man and your wife is still praying to some Roman god or, or goddess. And how do you win her over? What does that look like? Because these words, when they read those words, they would have been completely countercultural. Completely countercultural. We hear equal partners and all the women in the room say, yeah, it's about time. Preach it, Steve. We hear, uh, we hear husbands love and honor your wife, and we think, of course they should do that. Be understanding. Finally, someone said it. But this would have been crazy talk in the Roman world. That isn't how they live. Wives were property. Honor your wife, treat her with understanding. I don't think so. I, wives were property. Wives were married off sometimes before puberty and specifically just for the entertainment and pleasure of a man. When he said this, he was bucking every cultural norm. Peter is changing the narrative about women and how we as Christians are supposed to treat women. The very first equal rights movement in the world came from Peter, where he said, you will treat them as equals. You will honor and you will understand and you will respect and you will love your wife. They started treating women differently. And get this. We need to treat women this way too. And there's a promise in the passage. Listen to what it says. So that your prayers will not be hindered. I think I sort of understand this um, because I have three daughters. I have three daughters and I am a pretty chill dad, I think people will tell you. I'm a pretty chill dad. Especially when I meet like my, my girls bring home a date or a boyfriend or something. I think it's because I spent all those years in youth ministry. When a guy walks into my house and I meet him for the first time, I'm sort of the chill dad that's like, what's up, dude? I'm not that intimidating dad that's like, well, what are your intentions with my daughter, punk? Right? I'm not that guy. I'm just sort of not wired that way. Um, but here's the thing. I love my daughters. I love them. And if some man were to treat one of my daughters wrong, if they were ugly or disrespectful or they raised their voice or they called her names, if they treated her with disrespect, he and I are going to have some problems. You know what I'm talking about? We're going to have problems. If, God forbid, one of my daughters ever married a man who ever hurt her, laid a hand on her in any way, I'm talking about in any way, we are going to have problems. Like, I have a shotgun and a shovel, and I don't know that anyone will miss you that much. You take the pastor title off right then, you know what I'm saying? We are going to have problems. Now, I want you to imagine that that young man comes to me and says, Hey, I need some help with something. What? What? No, 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 no. I ain't helping you, Sparky. I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not even hearing you right now. You know why? Because that's my daughter. You've been mistreating my daughter. Here's the point, husbands. You are married to one of God's daughters. You are married to a child of God. You are married to someone that God loves so deeply. 
Do you really think God, you can treat one of God's daughters like that? Like he isn't watching? Like he, like he, he doesn't know or care how you're treating his beloved child? Even if she isn't a believer yet, even if she isn't a believer yet, we're told in scripture that God knit her together in her mother's womb, that God has numbered all the hairs on her head. God knows her and loves her and has been pursuing her her whole life. He is still her daughter and he wants a relationship with her. You need to be the husband she deserves, the kind of husband her heavenly father would want for her. Let me tell you something. This matters more than just between spouses. It matters deeply in your home with your kids. Because your kids are watching every last interaction between husband and wife. They are watching most of what kids will learn about how to relate to the opposite sex is never taught in words. It's displayed over and over again in your home. And you have to show them that day in and day out. Because they will watch every interaction you have and they will file it away in their memories. I've heard it said and I believe it to be true. If you want to be a good father, then love your wife. You want to be a good mother, then respect your husband. Because we are on a mission in our own home with your spouse and your kids are watching. Which leads me to... So what, Steve? How do we bring this home? How do we make sense of it? Um, before we go too far into this, I want to talk specifically to the ladies. Um, there are some passages in Scripture that have been hijacked. They have been taken out of context, and they have been used to beat up and to harm people. And this is one of those passages. Some people have twisted this passage to harm women. And if you grew up in a home or a church where you had a domineering or, a, or an abusive father or even male leadership that was sort of like that, I want you to hear from me, I, I'm sorry. And I hope that the Spirit of God, I've been praying all week, that the Spirit of God would be speaking to you to put this in context and to begin to let you to heal. Because if anyone here has ever heard this passage used to silence a woman and to tell her to keep her mouth shut while she gets beat up, let me tell you something, that is not the Spirit of God. That is not the truth of His Word. I know this passage can trigger people. I get it. I understand that. And, and, and it may be triggering you in a very real way as you're listening to it. Maybe from your past, but maybe even for something that is happening right now and you're facing it right now. If you are in a situation right now where you are being abused, let me say clearly, get out. You are not required to submit to someone who is hurting you. That is not God's heart. And if you need help, we will help you. I've already talked to, we've got some women standing by who are ready. If you've got this issue in your life and you want to come and talk to someone about it, you can come talk to me. You can wait till this week and maybe make a phone call to the church office or, or come in and, and talk to someone and I will get you connected with someone who can walk you through this because you are not alone in this. God loves you and you do not have to go through this alone. I don't want anyone walking out of here thinking that. 
I also want to talk to the men and women who have unbelieving spouses. This passage couldn't be more clear to the application of it for an unbelieving spouse. Someone that you love and you've been praying for, and maybe you've even endured some heartache and headache because they're unbelieving. The meaning of this passage is clear. You are to live properly with your unbelieving spouse. You are to live in such a way that it points them to Jesus. That's the application. Now, some of you are sitting next to your spouse right now, your believing spouse. Don't look over at them. It'll be awkward if you do that right now. But you're sitting with them, and you're here together, and, and for some of you, everything's fine, and you're just going to go to lunch. But for some of you, everything is not maybe as it should be in your marriage. It's not okay right now. And neither of you are behaving the way we see in this passage. And your home is filled with conflict and constant struggle. Let me tell you something here, ready? Without submission, everything is a standoff. Without submission, everything becomes a standoff. Right? Is that how it feels at your house right now? We fight about everything. We fight about big things. We fight about little things. We fight about stupid things. We fight about everything, and nobody ever gives in, right? Submission is an act of selflessness rather than selfishness when you submit. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this. There's another passage in Ephesians that sort of talks about this in a similar way, and it says, and further, I love this verse. Sometimes it's not attached to the verses below. It should be because it is right there. And further, submit to who? One another out of reverence for who? Christ. You have to both do it. Both of you. If one of you is submitting all the time and the other is, you're giving in all the time and the other is taking advantage of that, it leads to bitterness and it leads to resentment. And eventually they're just giving in because they just don't want to do it anymore. Right? The road to healing is not, well, I'll change when you change. Well, I'm going to change. Well, as soon as you start respecting me, then I'll, and then I, well, I'm, you know what happens? Nobody ever changes. Nobody ever changes. And so the rest of this passage in Ephesians makes this one simple point that I want to leave you with today. Ready? Husbands, lead the way by loving your wife. Husbands, lead the way by loving your wife. And wives, even if he doesn't take the lead, respect your husband. And I would add, I didn't get it into the sermon notes, but I would add this. Husbands, even if she isn't respecting you, love your wife. Let me pray for us as we walk out of here on mission in our own homes. Father God, there's so many of us dealing with so much as it goes along with this, God. I know we've got Single people here, God, I pray that you would be laying the foundation for their future marriages or, or, or whatever you're going to do in their life and relationships. God, I know we've got people here who, who are in the middle of it, in the thick of it, in the pain of it right now and maybe have been sold a false version of this passage. God, would you minister to their heart? Would you get them to seek the help they need that they might not have to live in, in that kind of pain or abuse, God? But God, for so many of us, this idea of submission is just something we, it's not natural. We don't like it. We like getting what we, getting our way and doing things the way we want it, God. 
May we embrace a life of submission, a life where we, where we honor and respect each other, where we give in when we need to give in, God, and we, and we do it in such a way that it doesn't create bitterness or resentment, Father. Help us to be the kind of people who will respect the authority of our husband, will honor and give understanding to our wives, the kind of people that when people look at our marriages, they will say there's something different about them. They must know this Jesus, and I want to know him too. God, let us live on mission in our own homes. In your son Jesus' name, amen.